is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. The big green guy is back. They call me Swamp Thing. You're a plant, aren't you? Anyway, welcome back, everybody. Back to 80s Revisited. Sorry for the delay getting this episode out, but sequelitis has hit us hard. Wait till you hear Jesse's voice. He's got a bad case of sequelitis. I'm finally at the end of the tunnel on mine. I'm doing better. But I think, still think we got at least one more episode of sequelitis to get through before we see that we, get, we finally get this bug out of our systems. But of course, as always, I am one of your hosts, Trey Harris. With me, as always, loyal producer extraordinaire, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. And here we are talking about one of the greatest comic book movie sequels of the 80s. That's right. I had to be very specific. Of the 80s. <laughs> off the top of my head, aside from Superman, I think it might be the only comic book sequel movie from the 80s. I have to double check the fact check that mm. in a future date. But anyway, The Return of Swamp Thing. Some of you might never even heard of this movie, but if you watched USA in the late 80s, early 90s, Up All Night... You have seen this movie, uh, but have you seen it recently? Because that's my quandary. I have, <laughs> and we'll talk about it in just a second. But anyway, Return to Swamp Thing came out officially May 12th, 1989. IMDb gives it a 4.7. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, 44% critics, 56% audience. So the audience is a little more favorable to it. Estimated $4 million budget, and I think it shows on the screen that it costs exactly $4 million. Uh, however, opening, not even in the top 20 domestically grossed $192, I'm sorry, $192,000, $816, excuse me. Worldwide, it did a little better, got an, almost another 100000 out of it, 274000 worldwide, no info on rentals. However, this played on USA all the time, mainly because, all, well, I guess in addition to USA had the Swamp Thing series, television series. More on that in a little bit. Uh, this was directed by Jim Wynorski. Uh, he's done some schlock. I'd say this is a schlock film. Uh, he did Chopping Mall, which is amazing. Uh, Deathstalker 2, Big Bad Mama 2. He's got a thing for sequels. Uh, written by Neil Cuthbert. Uh, now, the writing crew, well, the, half of the writing crew's got some good background, being Neil Cuthbert. Uh, he did Hocus Pocus, one of my wife's favorite Halloween movies, and a sequel coming out. This year, next year on uh, Disney Plus. And he also wrote one of my favorite superhero movies that's not Marvel or DC, Mystery Men with Ben Stiller and Hank Azaria and who am I forgetting? Jeffrey Rush. Uh, check it out if you haven't seen it. That would be on, I think, 2000s Revisited. That would be on 90s Revisited. I think it was like late 90s. Anyway, however, he also wrote The Adventures of Pluto Nash, which pretty much killed Eddie Murphy's career for a while. And it was also co written by Grant Morris, who did nothing. Of note. That's not a movie. He literally did nothing of note. Uh, cinematography was by Zoran Hochstatter. He did uh, Beverly Hills Body Snatchers. Raise your hand if you've seen that one. Revenge of the Nerds 3 and 4. So uh, that kind of tells you the quality of cinematography in this movie. Uh, honestly, I'm surprised he, he, was, he doesn't have a history of lighting 80s WWF events because the lighting in this film for every fight scene looks like a WWE. WWF from the 80s, uh, Saturday Night Heat kind of thing. The, like Every time, we'll get into it. Let me get, let me get all this out of the way. Got a lot, got a lot to say. Anyway, uh, starring uh, Louis Jordan as Arcane, reprising his role from the original. He was also an octopusy. Great actor. Like he's in the Swamp Thing series, i.e. these two movies, Swamp Thing, Return of Swamp Thing. He's very like reminiscent of Raw Julia from Street Fighter. Scenery chewing. He's got some great lines, especially in this one, that are just so bad. They're amazing. Nowhere near the peak of, you know, for me, it was Tuesday. But still great, nonetheless. Uh, the antithesis of his acting ability, Heather Locklear is Abby Arcane in this. Melrose, Melrose Place, TJ Hooker, Dynasty, Firestarter, Wayne's World 2. You know, Heather Locklear is a television actress. And she has made a career out of that. So... That's that, you know, congratulations. She's not a, you know, she's not a, she's not a good actress. She's not a film actress. She's not good. She's good at playing that bitch on television. But watch, if, if you think she's a good actress, watch this movie and then try 
just try to justify her acting. Hmm. It is terrible. Worst part of the movie. It definitely holds it back a bit. Uh, by comparison, though, Sarah Douglas is Dr. Zurl in this. Uh, she was in Superman 2. Uh, Conan the Destroyer. She's a veteran of the podcast. Return of the Living Dead 3. Uh, you know, very well-known, I'd say, femme fatale kind of actress. Uh, you know, she's got that English accent, very, like, uh, statuesque and... Uh, Especially back in that day, I thought, you know, very, very pretty. And uh, I'd say a pretty decent actress, especially, well, I mean, when you're next, when you're acting next to Heather Locklear, you know, a rock, a rock, not the rock, uh, is giving an Academy Award winning performance. Uh, and returning as Swamp Thing, Dick Durock, speaking of rocks, <laughs> Dick Durock, uh, D-U-R-O-C-K, as Swamp Thing again. Uh, he also, pretty much until the, um, the Swamp Thing series on what CW or whatever channel it was a couple years ago where uh, Derek Mears played Swamp Thing. He played Swamp Thing in everything. Original movie, sequel, and the TV show from 90 to 93. So he was literally Swamp Thing. And pretty good at it. Uh, do note that it is not his voice in this movie. The voice in this movie is terrible. <laughs> it is not his. Uh, but he is, for all intents and purposes, the OG. He is Swamp Thing. For the most part, he was also in Stand By Me. He was the uh, the dude of the hot dog eating contest, or was it the pie eating contest? It was a pie eating contest, if I remember correctly. Been a while since I've seen Stand By Me. Uh, hmm. He did pass away, however, in 2009 due to pancreatic cancer, just like our good friend Patrick Swayze. So rest in peace, the one true swamp thing. And that pretty much does it mainly for the cast. Now, I mentioned last week, and I know I've mentioned this film, especially when we did the original Swamp Thing. I, I've seen as a as a young, you know, ten year old into my teens. I saw this movie a shit ton. 99, oh, 100% because of USA, the USA Network. This came on all the time. They would have like Swamp Thing marathons. And you know the TV show would come on at night before uh, Up All Night. Or after Up All Night, it went off the air like at 2, 3 a.m., 4 a.m., depending on you know what the, the theme was. They usually play a Swamp Thing episode too. So Swamp Thing was huge in the early 90s. Had a toy line. As a matter of fact, Jesse, uh, your wife gave me uh, one of the toys she got from a garage sale of uh, Swamp Thing that I had when I was younger and still have it. Uh, haven't <laughs> nice. given it for to Violet yet to play with, but eventually far. Swamp Thing, it has. <laughs> <laughs> California to Utah. Uh, Swamp Thing has yet to encounter the Paw Patrol or Peppa Pig, but eventually their adventures will take them to the swamp where they will encounter the Swamp Thing. Nice. But yeah, so, you know, uh, nostalgia-wise, I had a very high opinion of this movie. Uh, the Practical effects, the creature effects are still great. Swamp Thing looks a million times better than how he looked in the Wes Craven original just a few years earlier, or I say a few years, about what, seven? Maybe? I think it was like 81 was Swamp Thing. It's pretty early. So, you know, good, you know, a good jump in practicality of visual effects and costume had occurred between the first two. Because the first one had a very low budget, I think maybe less than a million or maybe a million. I can't remember. I have to go back and listen to that episode. But this one had four million and 89. And I think. You can see it on the screen. You got a lot of set pieces, explosions, sets. Like I said, Swamp Thing looks great. His voice is terrible. He looks awesome. The leech creature looks awesome. All the different creatures in the lab in the beginning, especially the insect dude, uh, all look fantastic. Well, well done. And in fact, uh, Jesse, if you wouldn't mind, uh, bring up who did the visual effects. I did, ha I did unfortunately leave that off my notes, and they definitely deserve uh, to be mentioned on here. But uh, anyway... As a kid, loved this movie, had the toys, watched the TV show, thought Swamp Thing was awesome. Uh, and then I haven't seen this movie in 20 years, probably, mm. and watched it a couple weeks ago. And it's it doesn't hold up uh, in terms of the nostalgia factor and the memory of it I had as a kid. It's it's good. It, it's it's. The first one, Wes Craven really tried to kind of be like Batman, or to give it a comparison, like Batman 89, like serious and dark and tell a, a, a good, gritty story here. This one is Batman Forever by comparison. It's, it's, it, they, from the get go, it's lighthearted. Every single time Swamp Thing makes an entrance, he's backlit and there's so much fog, you can see the light beam. So it literally looks like JR should be off to the side going, By God, it's Swamp Thing with a chair. He's here. He's here. <laughs> It, it, it's it's every single time he comes in, it's this dramatic WWE interest. It's hilarious. I love it. Uh, it's, it's wait, is it? Are you serious? Is it Kevin Bacon? It's the different Kevin Bacon. I yeah, had to it's check not the it. Kevin Bacon. I had to check. It's Ake. Like, why would they hire Kevin Bacon as a carpenter for this movie? Oh, okay, yeah. Kevin, <laughs> that's his uh, Tess's twin. His twin who also has his name. 
So when it comes to visuals, there's, I mean, there's, it's all over the place back then. Like, it wasn't like a one lead as far as I can tell. There's a supervisor, but. Let's go with him. Jim Stewart, is that Even correct? that's just for motion opticals. So oh, wow. It's like, okay. I don't know. There's a lot of people to off. be credited. Yeah, that is, yeah. <laughs> so go to IMDb. They're like, legit. There's probably 20 names. Uh, however, I would say the practical effects, like I said, definitely worth a high point of the film. You can see where the money went. I think I would imagine most of it went to that and maybe Heather Lockler's salary because she was kind of famous at the time. I mean, she's famous, period, but uh, not so much anymore. Go look at her Wikipedia personal history <laughs> right now. Mm. Uh, get better, Heather. That's all I can say about that. Uh, but yeah, this film, loved it as a kid. Watching it, it, it was still fun, but it was very, it was disappointing watching it recently because – like I said, it didn't live up to how much how how amazing I remembered it to be. Uh, I would imagine I probably had being so long ago, I probably had some a bit of the TV show, maybe some episodes of that, maybe mixed in with it in my memory. Because uh, the TV show was pretty good to my again to my memory. I haven't watched it in, in thirty years, uh, twenty years, however long it's been, you know. But this one, uh, this was one I almost wish I hadn't revisited. I just I would keep have kept it fondly in my lockbox in my brain. Uh, because it just, it just, it doesn't hold up, uh, in terms of it's, it's still fun, but it's not quite as fun as it was when you were a kid. So it's like, it's diminishing returns with it. Uh, like I said, Louis Jordan is great in, he's a great villain. Rest in peace. Uh, Heather Lockler is a terrible actress. Uh, but Dick Durock, if, I mean, honestly, if, if, if it had a, if it, if they would have used a better voice for Swamp Thing, that would have immediately elevated it better. Because I think in the show, it might have been Dick Durock's real voice. I'm not 100 percent sure. The shows came out in the 90s, so we'll be covering on the podcast. Just be mentioning it. Uh, but uh, it's got it's got a good blend of it, it, it's a good blend of campy and comedy, which I don't usually like. Like Batman Forever and Batman and Robin as a perfect example. Like Batman Forever is trying to be serious, but it's too campy and the comedy the tracks and then you get to batman and robin and it's just it's the 60s tv show which is fine but you you're going from michael keaton's batman to that that's that's the disconnect you know the nolan trilogy solid uh well we got the new one now but i mean it's going to be a new series i'm sure i haven't seen the batman with uh what's his name edward from twilight that's a robert pattinson uh (laughs) you know so uh but the original, you know, the, the 66 Bat- the Batman TV show was campy. I, mean, I loved it, but you knew that's what it was. That, but then you start the Batman in 89, dark, gritty Tim Burton. You get the sequel, one of the best sequels of all time, Batman Returns, and a Christmas movie. And, of course, the best portrayal of Catwoman ever, but I haven't seen the new one. So I'm going to stick, mm. stick my guns with, uh, I was going to say something that would have been construed as mis- inappropriate, but I'm going to stick with <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer. There we go. Right. End of sentence. Uh, on that, at least I'll see the new one. Zoe Kravitz, love, love her. Uh, anyway, I'm getting off track here. <laughs> anyway, mm. but uh, Swamp Thing did that in just two movies. They went from Wes Craven's, it, the original one, as, go check our episode on that to remember what I said, because I don't even remember what I said about it. Mm. But, you know, they, they were trying to be, you know, tell a, a serious film there. And this one just kind of runs with it. And it, I think this film, the, the, one of the best things about it is it's self-aware of how that it is kind of silly. And the where it goes, like, I forgot all about this as a kid. I didn't even remember this. But after, after being an adult, reading Alan Moore's Swamp Thing run and then watching this recently, this film, if, this, if you're on the fence about watching it, watching it, let me tell you right now. This film has the weirdest sex scene pre-Demolition Man. And they even show it in the trailer pretty much. A uh, little spoiler for Swamp Thing comics, but if you don't know, Swamp Thing is not – he's not like um, – I'm trying to think of a comparable, like uh, Jamie, like Electro in Amazing Spider-Man 2, where, oh, I fall into a vat of electric eels and I have electric powers. Mm. Or uh, what's another one? Uh, Poison Ivy falls into her chemicals and becomes Poison Ivy. The Flash gets hit by electricity and his chemicals and becomes the Flash. Basically, you get doused in a particular chemical, you become a superhero based on whatever the third, the second ingredient of that superhero cocktail is. Swamp Thing was a scientist, Alec Holland, who had experimental chemicals with plants, got attacked, thrown into his chemicals, burned, ran and jumped into the swamp. But Swamp Thing is not Alec Holland. He has his consciousness. Swamp Thing is actually a plant. He's like a sentient plant that he's, 
is Holland, but he's not. You know, it's not it's not like he's still he has his memories, but he's still not the dude. He's he's still he's basically a plant. And they say it in this film, which I totally forgot about because that was a big thing in Alan Moore's run where he made it like, you know, Swamp Thing is not a person. He is legitimately a thing from the swamp. He is a plant. But also in one of in if if, if you like if you're if you're a fan of comic books and you haven't read the saga of the Swamp Thing, pause or while you're listening, open up a window <laughs> on your computer or your phone, go to Amazon. Search Saga the Swamp Thing in order volume one through five. I think there's five volumes. Maybe there's an omnibus yet. If there is, I'm going to, I will buy the omnibus immediately if there's an omnibus. Uh, but one of the, you know, Alan Moore is highly regarded, obviously, Watchmen, which we talked about on our top 10 comics of the 80s episode. Uh, his run, his Superman issues. I mean, he's, 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 he's a visionary. Oh, they have a box set. There you go. How much is it, Jesse? 108. 108. What does it say? I can't. That's not bad. There's, there's it's some. a nice uh, box set. There's some discount ones at 84 bucks. Highly, yeah. if you're a fan of comic books, highly, highly recommend that that run, the Saga of the Swamp Thing, Alan Moore run. It's a, it's it's amazing. It's fantastic reading, uh, and it's it's mm. different. It's it's it, I think almost. I mean, it's I think it's as impact. Eh, it's almost as impactful as his work on Watchmen, in terms of what he did to the superhero genre. It made Swamp Thing a horror comic. Whereas before it was, oh, Swamp, it was kind of like this movie. But then more came along and made it really serious, really deep, really fucked up, all kinds of things. So highly recommend it. But uh, in the comic, what I'm getting at is that in this movie, uh, basically, you know, Swamp Thing's a plant. And in this movie, Heather Locklear pretty much wants to fuck him. She wants to jump his plant bones the second she's like, oh, you're a plant. Wow, I'm a vegetarian. That. Doesn't mean you want to have sex with him. That means you want to eat him. But anyway, but in the comic book, he, he has these tubers. You know, it, it's a plant term. Look it up. But he basically breaks them off and feet and lets her eat it. And basically, she trips balls. But to where she's like, kind of like in Demolition Man, in her mind, they're banging. And they do that in this movie. Oh, so uh, it's it, like it, when this happened, I'm like, I don't remember this at all. This is so <laughs> I can't believe this was in this movie. Like, I li- did they maybe they censored it on USA. I don't know. I don't. I didn't remember it at all. I was like, "Holy shit!" I don't. I was shocked. I was. I pearl. I clutched my pearl. I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> um, but yeah. So, bottom line is, if you have fond memories of this movie, you might not want to watch it because it might, you know, might take that. It, it did take it down a peg or two from my memory. However, it's still fun. It's better than the first one. The practical effects are great. Uh, it's you know, it's just it's it's basically a movie that's really should have been a TV movie. You know, and there's no, it, it, you're, it's no surprise how, what it did at the box office. This should have been a USA original kind of, or, a, you know, these days HBO max original. Cause it, they knew it wasn't going to go to, wouldn't do good in theaters. So they get it on HBO max and get some subscriptions, that kind of thing. Uh, nevertheless, still enjoyed watching it. Just, it was a little, you know, Oh man, I, I remember, I, I remember when it was over, I was like, that was fine, but eh, not as good as I thought it would be. Mm. So, Jesse, did you ever happen to catch Return of Swamp Thing on USA Up all night? No, because I grew up without cable. <laughs> yeah, but you had two VCRs, dude. Yep, and Swamp Thing never entered either of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a damn shame. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. So, yeah, but uh, would I recommend you watching it today if you've never seen it? Nah. Nah, it's, it's, it's definitely a cult niche film. That unless you want to say that you've seen every superhero movie that's ever been made, you can skip it. If there's no nostalgic connection, I don't think there's too much here for you. Uh, unfortunately, again, I, I, I still, you know, 10-year-old Trey, like, loved the hell out of this movie. And when they had toys, it was it made my day getting a Swamp Thing toy for a few months of my uh, <laughs> early double-digit life. But anyway, uh, trivia about this Swamp Thing. Uh, I'm going to cover some of the comic stuff the movie stuff because it's not too much. And then also the TV show a little bit to kind of wrap it up. Cause we're after this, we're done with Swamp Thing on this podcast. So might as well give them a good send off. Uh, again, the movie was based on Swamp Thing, which was created by Lynn Wayne and Bernie Wrightson uh, in the seventies. I believe uh, I didn't write the, Oh yes. 1971. Uh, his first appearance was in house of secrets. Number 92, 1971. Uh, and then 82 DC comics revived the series attempting to capitalize on the movie. Oh, there we go. 82. So this was seven years after the original uh, of the film. And in that run, uh, Alan Moore came in on about, I think, again, I'm off on this. I'm sorry, comic nerds, like in the teens, I think. I'm not sure the, the first issue. I don't think I have it in my notes. 
But when he came on, he reconfigured it to make him a mo- like basically a monster as opposed to a human transformed into a monster. Uh, in his first issue, he pretty much redid. He, he pretty much started with a clean slate. Introduced. He had a year and a half run on it, and he brought in the Sun- Sunderland Corporation uh, that that hunted Swamp Thing down and killed him. And uh, investigation revealed that Swamp Thing was not Alec Hall when he was a transformed to a plant. Like I mentioned before, he was wholly a plant based entity, uh, having somehow absorbed his consciousness and memories. Uh, and he won. Alan Moore won the 1985 and 1986 Jack Kirby Awards for Best Writer for Swamp Thing. Uh, him, him, along with John Totalbean and Steve Bissett, won the 1985 Jack Kirby Award for Best Single Issue for Swamp Thing Annual Number Two. And let me tell you how badass this is. This is one of the all, uh, most amazing and terrifying comic book moments in history. Swamp Thing has to go to hell to save Abby. Now, in the comic books, Abby's like he loves her. It's not like Heather Locklear. Like she's a good character. She has her own huge arc within the series. And he goes to hell to save her with Etrigan the Demon. Etrigan the Demon is a character in DC Comics. Sometimes just called the demon, but he speaks in rhyme all the time. Everything, he, everything, it's kind of annoying when you're reading him in a comic book, unless he's written well, because it's just pedantic rhymes over and over and over. Uh, but they're going to hell. And this is after he, Arcane has died. And while they're in hell, he comes, they come across Arcane, and like I think bugs or scorpions are eating him or something like that. And Arcane just like, you put me here. How many years have I been here? And Swamp Thing just looks at him and says, since yesterday <laughs> mic drop in hell that that's how badass of a writer alan moore is uh but they also won the 85 86 and 87 kirby awards for best continuing series for swamp thing it was the first mainstream comic book that completely abandoned the comics code authority thank god ign ranked swamp thing as number 28 on the top 100 comic book heroes list which is uh, that's fine with me uh if you took it all times heroes like i think he deserves to be that high i think He's an underrated uh, character that, as we've as been proven in the hands of a maestro of a comic book writer like Alan Moore, you get more than you bargain for, <laughs> and you get an incredible mythology that is still one of the great. And also, there's an issue where he goes to Gotham, and Batman comes in. So mm-hmm. there you go. If you're a Batman fan, read, read you know check out the. I'm not sure what volume it would be in like the in the collection, but it happens. Really cool cover where Swamp Thing's like overgrowing Gotham City. I think he's looking for a criminal. And he's like basically just overgrowing Gotham to like try to find him. And he faces off against Batman. Great fucking issue. Uh, see Swamp Thing face off against Batman. And Swamp Thing turns up all the time in modern DC comics. Uh, he's still in his, his series. He's got a really good series right now, but I think it uh, maybe there's just an issue or two left or maybe it just ended. Uh, I don't remember, honestly. It's one of those two for sure. But anyway, going on through the return of Swamp Things, Dick Durock's voice was overdubbed by an unknown actor, which neither Durock nor the director found out about until they sat down and watched it at the premiere. That means the studio just went in and said, we don't like this voice. Here's this one. And it was, I can't imagine the other one being, I mean, I can imagine the other one being worse, but uh, his voice in this one is like not befitting of a creature of the swamp. And uh, with this film, Dick Durock became the first actor since Christopher Reeve to reprise the role of a DC Comics protagonist. Uh, it wouldn't happen again until Michael Keaton with Batman. And then not again after that, I, off the top of my head, till Christian Bale as Batman, I would imagine. Uh, and when comparing scars, there's a scene where they're, uh, the two henchmen are, are comparing scars. And uh, point, the character known as Poinsettia shows, uh, what's the other dude? The, uh, one of them's, the guy's name's Gunn, the girl's name's Poinsettia. Uh, Poinsettia shows him a bite mark near her right shoulder, which she says that she got at a Motley Crue concert, which is an in-joke, because at the time, if you didn't know, Heather Locklear was married to Motley Crue drummer, pre-Pamela Anderson sex tape star Tommy Lee. Not Jones, just Tommy Lee. How crazy would that be if it was Tommy Lee Jones? <laughs> yeah, uh, me and Heather were married. Uh, I can't do it. Huh? <laughs> I'm pretty Lee close. Uh, oh, thank you. Yeah, well, <laughs> you have to get Tommy the point Lee across. Jones. <laughs> there you go. That's all. That's all I intend. That's all my intent is. Is always to just get the point across. Uh, early in the film, Abby Arcane tells her friend to leave the TV on because they love that guy on TJ. What's his name? Another in joke because Heather Locklear played Officer Stacy Sheridan on TJ Hooker in 1982, which also starred uh, Captain Kirk himself. Uh, and this is the third DC Comics adaptation that Sarah Douglas had starred in. The first being Superman 78. She's one of the Phantom Zone criminals. And then in Superman 2, where they're, of course, her and Zod and the big tall guy, sorry, I forget their names, get freed from the Phantom Zone and fight Superman in a really great sequel. Uh, 
So yeah, she also played a villainess to the main protagonist in this film. So yeah, third time in a DC film in the '80s. That's pretty unparalleled too. Or on unpre- well, no, let's see. Uh, Hackman. No, Hackman was in three. He was in Superman one, two, and four. But four was. Uh, see if Superman four was in the '80s, because then there might there would well, super, well Christopher Reeve was in all three. So yeah, I guess Christopher Reeve would be Quest like number for peace, one. Peace eighty-seven. Okay, yeah. So Christopher Reeve four DC films in the '80s. Gene Hackman three. Sarah Douglas three. So uh, she would be second tied with Gene Hackman. Uh, and according to the Blu-ray commentary, the uncredited actor during Swamp Thing and Abigail's quote-unquote love scene was not Dick Durock, but an unnamed male model, hired off the st- male model hired off the street. And he was reported to be super arrogant, and Heather Locklear hated him. However, she agreed to do the scene. As soon as it was filmed, the actor was paid and was immediately sent off the set. So... That's all the trivia for the film. Uh, a lot of stuff about the TV show, which I found pretty interesting. Now, the show came on after the movie. Again, the movie came out May 12th, 89. The show premiered uh, July 27th, 1990, a little over a year later, which, first of all, blew my mind based on the box office return for this movie. How on earth did this get a TV show, much less one that lasted three seasons and 72 episodes? Well, the answer is the show was actually pretty good. Again, based on my memory. Mm. Which, as we have learned by this film, you know, nostalgia plays a heavily heavy uh, factor in that. But the show was developed for television by Joseph Stefano, uh, who also uh, helped get uh, Psycho made and The Outer Limits. It was filmed at that time at the brand new Universal Studios Florida, which also at that time had Nickelodeon Studios and the Slime Geyser that went off every hour. Uh, it was they basically granted them the space to demonstrate the new studio because the series could be be produced cheaply and quickly, which are two of the greatest things Hollywood producers love to hear. Mm. Uh, the first 13 episodes, they shot a uh, second unit in actual swamps. Uh, and then that proved to be a uh, hassle. <laughs> <laughs> so they brought everything into the studio, which according to Dick Durock quoted as saying, when they made the set for the swamp, it looked 10 times better than the real swamp. <laughs> so uh, a, a testament to the uh, set designers for the TV show. And of course, Dick Durock played something in the show, both films, uh, he wore a modified version of the uh, well, the designer of the suit. So here's props to them: Carl Fullerton and Neil Mart's latex suit for the Return of Swamp Thing, which, which looked way better than the uh, previous one. Uh, and he spoke in an, ele- an ele- electronically altered basso profundo, whatever the hell that means. Uh, however, his profuse sweating caused the lip and eye prosthetics to fall off while shooting uh, in the in the movies. But in the show, they basically just did makeup around those areas and blended the latex further down so it wouldn't come off so much so uh that shows you know the the uh problem solving of the costume of the makeup effects guys to like make it work for the actor and make it look good too so again hats off to let's see carl Fulton and neil martz who worked on that uh and then uh dick Durock also said in the first swamp thing it took close to four hours which is insane because it just looks like a suit they zipped up from the back. I'm assuming it's probably the face <laughs> makeup. That's probably the longest part of that. Because uh, you can see the zipper in some parts in the original. Uh, in the second one, in this one, Return of Swamp Thing, it only took close to two hours, which to me is insane because it looks so much better. Uh, and by the time they got down to the TV show, which was ironically by far the best makeup and version of the costume, 45 minutes. Damn. That's pretty impressive, uh, in my opinion. After the pilot episode and the first 12 episodes, uh, Stefano, the original producer, left the series, and it was production was halted by, for some retooling by Tom Green, not the comedian, <laughs> who the new executive producer of the show. And uh, by the end of the first season, the USA sensed that the show could attract even higher ratings and if further modifications uh, when they kind of revamped it for two more seasons and ordered 50 episodes, and those episodes – made Swamp Thing the highest-rated original series on the USA Network, and they were less dependent on elements of the comic book. Instead, introduced uh, anthological science fiction stories, kind of like X-Files, like uh, Monster of the Week episodes and that kind of thing, to where it kind of became its own thing as opposed to being, you know, trying to just get constant comic references through it all the time, which that's what they're trying to do with the Halo TV show, which if you want my opinion of the Halo TV show, it looks like a cutscene from a Command & Conquer game. If like if, if the Command, <laughs> Command and Conquer team made Halo Wars, this would be the cutscenes that we'd see in between it. Uh, it just it, the CG mixed with the practical effects in that are so off, uh, which is a shame. It's a shame. There's so many cool nods to the game, but the effects are terrible. The suits are like clunky. They look like the toy soldiers from Babes in Toyland that we covered around Christmas. <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, they don't look comp. They, it just looks bad. They they should have streamlined it a bit more. But uh, that's that is another story. Uh, at one point during the show's run, uh, an animated series based on Swamp Thing uh, was also broadcast on Fox, but it only lasted five episodes when it aired in 1991. And then the reboot I mentioned before was actually in 2019. Uh, and like I said, Derek Mears took over the role of Swamp Thing. He was the one who played Jason in the Friday the 13th reboot, which if I could say anything positive about the Friday the 13th reboot, it's that he was a pretty terrifying Jason, and that is it. Score-wise, Return of Swamp Thing, uh, 10-year-old Trey would have given it a 7 or an 8. I give it a 5. Uh, it's perfectly middle of the road for an 80s film at this level of film. Uh, again, like you know, this isn't a blockbuster. It's really kind of a TV cult movie more so than a, a you know, that's where I would kind of like place it uh you know so if you're a fan of the character get check it out if you don't care about swamp thing you're not missing anything uh, however again no matter who you are go to amazon get the uh alan moore set uh run of saga the swamp thing you will if you're a comic book fan and you like good comic book stories you will not regret it you will send me an email thanking me and if you don't like it you can send the set to me because i only got the first two books of it on my bookshelf oh. uh so i would love the box set uh, anyway, uh, in the real world, again, this came out May 12th, 1989. We recently did another film that came out around this time. I'm not sure which one it was. Uh, however, this was, uh, this was May 12th when the film released five days later, we had the start of the 1989 Tiananmen Square protest. Sorry if you're listening to us in China, the podcast just got blocked when I mentioned Tiananmen Square, where uh, more than 1 million <laughs> Chinese protesters marched through Beijing, demanding greater democracy, leading to a crackdown. And then on June 5th, which is, uh, about three weeks later, you have the uh, basically the the massacre, uh, so to speak. Well, that was actually a couple of days earlier. Excuse me, I'm sorry, I don't have the date on here. Uh, but on June 5th was when the the Tank Man picture, and I think we mentioned might have mentioned this before on the podcast. But search Tank Man if you don't know what I'm talking about. Immediately, if you're in our age group, you're like, oh yeah. If you if you remember that moment in history, you'll be like, wow. Uh, if you don't, I suggest you go to Wikipedia and read it. It is a it is an amazing story. Uh, about a this person's courage. We don't know who he was. We don't know if he's alive. If he got killed, we have no clue. Uh, but there's also a great documentary that I saw on YouTube about it, uh, which talks about how just getting that picture out of China was a feat. Like once it happened, like Chinese uh, soldiers stormed like rooms where the new journalists were and like took film and all this stuff. And the only reason we still have like pictures of this. Uh, are because the journalist basically hid it in the he put it in a Ziploc bag and put it in the toilet tank because he knew they were going to come try to get like everything he had. He literally had to smuggle it out to get it. Uh, but again, if you don't know the uh, the importance of this moment in history, June fifth, nineteen eighty nine, Tank Man, do yourself a favor, look it up. It is it's an amazing story, and you want to talk about courage? You know, it's not courage saying that you can't wear a mask. Oh, uh oh, woke alarm, woke alarm. Uh, for the delicate snowflakes that are listening that can't handle, you know, talking about issues. <laughs> Here we uh, go. Wink, wink, being facetious. Uh, you know, th- you want to see real courage? Go watch Tank Man. Bottom line. Moving on. Uh, I could talk about that all day. It's fa- again, amazing story. Look it up. Uh, back to the future this week. A couple of shout outs. And then we're going to talk about the big thing this week, which is the Oscars. And I got a lot to say about it. So... If you don't want to hear stuff, my opinion on the Oscars, we'll see you next week. But uh, next, uh, in the meantime, uh, back to the future, a couple of shout outs. I rewatched uh, Burt Wonderstone with Steve Carell and Steve Buscemi. If you haven't seen that movie, that is an underrated genius movie. Steve Carell's best movie, Jim Carrey's best movie since before he, pre Sonic the Hedgehog, because he's absolutely amazing in Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, but if you haven't seen Burt Wonderstone, do yourself a favor. Just for Jim Carrey, like, I've never wanted a spinoff character from a comedy movie more than Jim Carrey's Steve Gray from The Incredible Burt Wonderstone. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's highly, highly underrated. Jim Carrey is, is I'm not kidding you, it's one of his best roles, period. Uh, and then also, Jesse, uh, I finished the first season of Mythic Quest. I will okay. not be watching any more seasons. I, have, uh, I haven't progressed past the, what, um, third episode? Get to the Nazi one and then call it a day. If you haven't seen that one yet, the same one I mentioned last time. Uh, it's it's not that it's bad. It just doesn't – it's not as good as I, I guess I want it to be, and I feel that it could be. Maybe it gets there later seasons because there's four fucking seasons. I don't thought there was only like two. <laughs> I was like, four? Uh, I don't – you know. Eh, maybe if I get a niche to see more Mechelheine. Uh, 
again, it's not bad. It's just I don't want to devote. There's so much other stuff I want to watch. I don't have the time right. to devote to it. Uh, however, I, this the the uh, the girl that plays the the lesbian game tester in the show, mm-hmm. she's the voice of Aloy in yeah. Horizon Forbidden West, which I didn't know until I was look, I was like looking around like this girl seems familiar to me. It's because I'm literally playing as her in the game that I'm playing when I'm not watching the TV show. Yeah, but she's also a very she has a ton of voice acting, uh, very good voice actress. I think she's been on those D and D shows like Critical, um, whatever it's called. Critical Role. Critical Role, yeah. But R O L E, wink, wink, clever, Matt right. Mercer. I beat you in I beat you in Street Fighter Two Championship Edition when you were head tester at Infinity Ward when I was visiting my brother. <laughs> you were Guile. I was Chun Li. You want to rematch? Let's ass, go, bro. Nah, 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 nah. Nah. Anyway, so yeah, uh, that's couple of recent things oh another speaking of steve buscemi and burt winterstone i did see a movie that i've i've i wanted to see when it came out but forgot and along some lines it came back to where i it was brought up or i saw it like oh i never saw that i want to see it but it's a film called the death of stalin it is a dark comedy with steve buscemi uh jason isaacs uh i I thought it was martin uh the dude from the hobbit that played stalin but it's not uh but this is a sleeper movie. This movie, uh, Jeffrey Tambor is in it too. Uh, this movie is fantastic. If you're a fan of history, this is a great, like tongue in cheek version of history. That's the scary thing is it's true. If you fact check it, <laughs> but it's hilarious. It's amazing. I'm, so, I'm shocked. It, it wasn't, it didn't have more presence at the Oscars that year when it came out. Speaking of the Oscars in 2017, uh, fantastic older movie that I recently saw that I highly, highly recommend especially again if you like history it's really cool like really good movie and steve buscemi absolutely should have got an oscar nomination for that film shame that he didn't but uh you, you, said you saw a comic you, book you remember i didn't know that yeah, oh yeah it is based on like a uh, i think a two-issue graphic novel or something like, or two-issue comic book series i remember enjoying it i think i saw it when it when it came out so it's head been, of the game it's been a while <laughs> yeah it's it's really like high i well, i again, saw the trailer high, and i was really like i want to see that yeah, because so. yeah, I, I can't remember. What, again, I, I remember hearing it when it came out. Oh, when I, oh, that's interesting. And then I, I wish I could remember how it came back into my zeit, my personal zeitgeist. But I was like, oh, yeah, I wanted to see it. And then like from like the moment it started with all of them on screen, it was like, this is uh, this is amazing. Very well done movie. Really shocked it's not more, I guess, well regarded or mentioned more. But uh, in terms of like a dark historical comedy, that's how you do it. That's how you mm. do it. But now... Oscars 2022. Da, Let's da, talk about da. Da Hollywood. We're talking about <laughs> keep my name out your fucking mouth. Anyway, <laughs> let, okay, you know what? Let's talk about that slap first. Let's just get that out the way because, because let's be honest. I, I actually, as the Oscars were airing, I don't have cable. I was watching Coda as the Oscars were airing, and then uh, I got on my phone to see where I recognized one of the actresses from. Uh, as we typically do these days when you watch a movie at home. That's the one downside of watching a movie at home. You're too easily tempted to like right. check something immediately as opposed to waiting till it's over. And it's like, Will Smith assaults Chris Rock. I'm like, what? Like, so maybe they pause the movie like, hey, what the hell? What is going on? Like, what? Uh, so let's just, it, it, the official stance of Trey Harris from 80s Revisited, I will never speak for Jesse because he's he has his own opinions and that's that's you know that's what the sport's about. It's about opinions. But in my opinion, uh, I think violence is never the first resort. Is my personal opinion. I think he should have. Now this is now before all you conspiracy theorists are like, oh, it was set up. Oh, he didn't do anything till Jada looked at him. Oh, uh, they have an open marriage or or blah or whatever. Like let let's talk about it from the standpoint of somebody says an inappropriate joke. And the course of action that you take is to walk up there and slap them in the face. Now, that is, let's be honest, that is a human reaction. I don't blame him for that reaction. However, I believe it is the wrong course of action, if that makes sense. Uh, I think he would have gone there and said, hey, Chris, I don't have to get up again. Don't talk about my wife anymore. And then walk off. People would have stood up and clapped. It would have, it would have been an iconic, it's an iconic moment. It's an infamous moment now. It would have been a famous moment if the other way around. I think it should have been handled differently. Put it that way. Uh, you know, for example, there was a presidential debate. I think it was between Al Gore, not uh, Dan Quayle, and 
maybe it was Al Gore. I can't, I can't remember. But, and this might, not, this might just be a hearsay thing that was taught in political science classes. But uh, like, uh, like for example, I think they asked Al Gore, like, Mr. Gore, if somebody raped your wife, what would you want to happen to that person? He's like, well, uh, I would want that person arrested and prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. That's actually the wrong answer. Uh, and this, this is philosophical. This is a different, you know, this is just to talk about. But the right answer is I would want to hunt that person down and beat them to death with my own hands. That's what I would like to do. However, that is not the right thing to do. Because that's what separates us from the animals. It is, I think it is perfectly correct in how he was feeling. And again, I'm talking about, we're breaking the situation down to the basics, to, to literal black and white here. Somebody made a joke about his wife, her condition. He may not have known about it. That's fine. I'm not talking. That doesn't matter. What matters is what happened. The fact is a joke was made. He got up and slapped him. And that, that's the fact. That's what we're talking about here. We're not bringing any extracurricular theories or facts into it. In my opinion, it was wrong to slap him. It was right to feel that way. It was wrong to actually do it. And... Chris Rock. Well, I, I'm not, I, I, I saw Will Smith. Of course, Will Smith won best. And he had to get back up and won best actor. That's the thing. This over, you know, it would have been one of the greatest moments in in like Hollywood history if he didn't slap him. If he just got there and said, "Don't talk about my wife," I'd appreciate it. You know, handled it differently, and then sat down, and then gets up and gives that best actor speech. Uh, however, uh, from I believe Chris Rock apologized. Will Smith apologized. He apologized basically in his speech, not directly to Chris Rock, but he did apologize about it. And oh, what a phony apology. Oh, his lawyer told him to do that. You can believe whatever you want. It sounds, you know, oh, he's an actor. You can't believe it. Well, shut the, okay, come on. You can't, you sound like people denouncing vaccines and stuff. And I mean, and medical and science. Oh, woo, 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 woke alert, woke alert. Just kidding. Uh, anyway, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I hope you do. I hope I'm conveying it at least, you know, to put, you know, we'll never, you know, this is the last time on W on 80s visited podcasting. We'll ever mention this slap by Crispin. Wall. I mean, Will Smith, Let me get my <laughs> uh, you know, so and it, over, it overshadowed so many great things that happened that night. You know, uh, people forgot about gas prices. I guess that's, I guess that's, I guess that's a good thing for like 24 <laughs> hours. We also forgot about the Ukraine war for like 20, you know, still, I haven't seen a blurb about it. Since everything's still about his apology. It just it goes to show you how little it what what absurdity it takes to divert the attention of honestly let's be honest not just the American people but the people in the world like you know that's what comes out of America news the news is oh Will Smith slaps Chris Rock and then everybody's on this side or that side but the official stance as I mentioned before rewind it I'm not gonna I'm gonna do my best not to repeat it again because I already said my piece but yeah now let's talk about the real the actual awards. (laughs) Okay. Uh, first of all, congrats to Ariana DeBose. I'm not sure you pronounce her last name. I don't watch the awards. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but she was the first openly uh, queer woman of color to win uh, an Oscar. She won Supporting Actress for West Side Story. Haven't got around to that one yet. I do want to see it. Uh, Troy Kotzer, uh, he was the first deaf male actor to win an Oscar, which is, he was in, obviously, uh, Coda, but I didn't, I didn't know this until I was watching it, but Marley Matlin is also in Coda, if you don't know who she is, she's a deaf actress. She was the first deaf actress, actor, period, to win an Oscar. Uh, she won in 1986 for her very first film, Children of a Lesser God, starring William Hurd, who was in the In Memoriam section this year because he passed away between our last episodes. Uh, rest in peace, William Hurt. Now, John Hurt and William Hurt are dead, so you can't confuse us to which one's alive or dead anymore. Uh, I should have mm. waited <laughs> another month on that joke. Uh, but anyway... Yes, yeah, so, but Marley Matten was the first uh, deaf actor to win. Uh, but you know, the just I'm just make, I'm just trying to educate everybody because uh, Troy was the first male actor. However, the first deaf a- actor period was in fact his co-star Marley Matten, who won in '86, uh, and she was also the youngest actress to ever win the award. She was only 21 years old. What did I do at 21? Uh, got my first beer legally, and she won an Oscar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to go cry in a corner after this. Uh, but also uh, Riz Ahmed, who was uh, nominated last year, I believe, for Best Actor for another film about uh, hearing impaired, uh, Sound of Thunder. Uh, he, w- he was this year uh, for short film. He became the first Muslim to win an Oscar for a short film. Uh, Yvette Marino was the first Latina producer to win an Oscar. She won as a producer for Encanto. Uh, Jane uh, Campion, thankfully, didn't put her foot in her mouth after winning her award this time about <laughs> men in Hollywood in front of the... Uh, Williams sisters, and like I mean, 
people need to give attention to the uh, Venus and Serena Williams. They had a movie about their dad. Highly, you know, Will Smith wins that best actor for it. It's nominated for best picture. It's nominated, you know, it's it's well received, and they have to deal with all this controversy surrounding it. <laughs> They're never going to want to go to Hollywood again. I don't blame them because you know they had Campion say like, "Oh, you don't have to compete against the men like I do," which drew ire. Uh, and then you had, you know, this whole Will Smith slapped about tobacco <laughs> at the Oscars. So I feel sorry for the Venus sisters in this moment that was really like big for them. Uh, and it got overshadowed by other things, which is a shame. Uh, but uh, Jane Campion, second year in a row, a woman won Best Director. Uh, Jessica Chastain won Best Actress, which I was exceptionally excited for because I mentioned on this podcast uh, a couple episodes ago that uh, Isa Tammy Faye was one of my favorite movies of the year, which surprised even me. And mm-hmm. I think she was, I fell in love with her in that movie. You know, I guess I fell in love with a person playing Tammy Faye. I don't know. I'm being facetious. You know what I'm saying? But, but I, I never really cared for Chastain, especially after X-Men Dark Phoenix or whichever one she was in, where she was the white queen and terrible. However, she was amazing in the eyes of Tammy Faye. Absolutely deserved that Oscar. And they also won makeup, and uh, which they absolutely deserved as well for making her look as she did, uh, which was very, very uh, well-deserved. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda missed his EGOT because Billy Ellish won for best song for uh, No Time to Die instead of uh, yeah, um, oh, he, absolutely. <laughs> he doesn't have yeah. he's not going to miss his shot. shot. He's going to get another shot. <laughs> uh, so anyway, good segue there. Yeah. Uh, so uh, but about the, let's see, uh, just going through the nominees. Coda won best picture. Watched it the night that Coda was. I teared up. I I cried in that movie. It was an amazing. It was, it's just a good movie. You don't get you know. It it was pretty good. It, you know, um, did you see? Did you see it? Yeah, I saw it about a week ago. Okay. Um, Melissa I, I, really liked it, and uh, I was like, I I just had some small issues with the writing, which I'm surprised because it won like mm-hmm. best adapted screenplay as well. But it was just small little things Uh, in the writing that I was just like, these things could have been fixed. And, um, mm -hmm. but I mean, the actors were so good in it that it kind of just overshadowed that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because honestly, like of course I have a daughter, so basically, and spoilers alert for Coda. I highly recommend if you haven't seen it, just come back later if you've seen it. But uh, I think. Uh, Troy Kotzer should have been nominated for best actor for his. I mean, it was he, of course he got nominated for supporting. I'm glad he won, but his, especially in the last half of that movie was so good. Yeah. Just when he's looking around in the auditorium, when he asked her to sing for him and he's like listening to her, like it was just as a, as a father, it broke my fucking heart. Uh, and I was scared for him in the movie. Like, I hope he doesn't do something drastic to get his daughter to (laughs) like agree to go to college. You know, I, I was worried for him. Yeah. Like I felt such a con- like his care. It was such a jit. You no, know, of course he's actually deaf, which obviously his character's deaf. But I mean, God, that his perf- that's one of the best performances that I can recall off the top of my head. Like honestly, I thought I thought he, he his character just like what he, I I could I could tell every thought that he was having about his like he conveyed it also perfectly to me, mm-hmm. uh, which is the trait of an actor, and he did it without words. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, most actors who can actually speak wish they could do that. Uh, and I think, you know, that, that that performance by him was something really special. And that's what really just made the movie for me. Like I said, I mean, there were so many moments where I just teared up with him because of there, it was the father daughter relationship. Once you have a kid, it makes it changes you. You know, things like that will make you cry like a baby because <laughs> you, you're, you're, you're experiencing it. You're seeing it from different eyes and of a different way than you know, and it's not exclusatory. Like, I'm not saying, oh, you didn't see it this way, Jesse, because you don't have kids. I'm kind of saying that, but my perspective, you know, it's, it's all perspective thing that we're talking about off the air. It's just that character and everything that that went to just led so much to just the emotion of it to me and it made it like going into the Oscars. Again, I haven't seen you. I've only seen, let's see, I saw Coda, Belfast, Dune, Licorice Pizza, and Power of the Dog. I saw half of the nominees. Of the five that I saw, after seeing Coda, I think Coda was probably my favorite. Although Belfast, Belf- before I saw Coda, I thought Belfast was my absolute favorite. I really liked that movie. It was very well done. Highly recommended. Very good. Glad that it won, uh, I think, original screenplay. Yeah. Kenneth Branagh won original. And once it won that, I saw because I was watching the results live just to see what won. Once it won original screenplay, I was like, ah, it's probably not going to win Best Picture. They're going to give him that award. But, of course, everybody was kind of thinking that uh, 
Power of the Dog was the big one that people were going to win. You know, I'm, uh, I'll never watch that movie again. I, c- I could see myself watching Coda again. Uh, I think the performances and just the emotion of it really just sold it for me. But Belfast as well, I think it's, you know, it was brilliantly done. Uh, and a lot of a lot of simps online, like, why didn't Dune win? Uh, well, there's a, well, because it's it wasn't good like these other movies are. You know, uh, it won I, I really plenty. can't stand. Yeah, I mean, it, it won everything it should have won, except you yeah. know, I think it should have been nominated for director. Uh, absolutely, but I mean, it won all the technical awards. That's exactly what it should have won. There was no surprise. It, it should have won those. Although, uh, where's the? Uh, I don't. I didn't care for Hans Zimmer's score. Where's the original score? Uh, Okay, he was nominated against Don't Look Up, Encanto, Parallel Mothers. I have no clue without that one. Power of the Dog. Hey, Jesse here cutting in while editing. Uh, It's at this point in the podcast that we have a guest come on. uh, Distant in the background, but you may hear some uh, vocal stylings from the lovely Violet. But I just want you to be aware of what exactly you are hearing. But the show continues. Uh, So Dune was nominated, which one, with Hans Zimmer. Not again, not a bad score, but I don't think it was like it had some good parts, but I mean, it had bagpipes. There's no competition. The year thirty thousand, or smaller yeah, I mean, competition, I think, I think. Yeah, don't look up, which I haven't seen. I know you saw it. Uh, Encanto, which had, I think had a good score, had a good song, good score. Was it the best? I don't know. Uh, Parallel Mothers, haven't heard of that one. And Power of the Dog, which the opening, the first few minutes of the or first half of the movie had a good score, and then the credits, the end of it had kind of a, a pretty a score that fit. But you know, do I remember it? No, I don't remember anything from Dune. I remember it like fitting, but uh, I guess well, I, I guess out of those nominees, I guess it is the best. But I, I don't know. I have to see everything that came out to and look. Up, I, need, I should need to look at my iTunes to see which soundtracks I bought this year as to which ones were actually the most memorable. But yeah, Dune won what it deserved. It didn't deserve Best Picture. Absolutely. I mean, it, I think it, I think Denis Villeneuve. Yeah, I can never never yeah. pronounce his name. Uh, DV should have got a Best Director nom, uh, in my opinion. But of course, because Paul Thomas Anderson put out a movie, he has to be nominated for everything because Licorice Pizza is a piece of shit. Uh, I don't think it won anything. Licorice Pizza. Good, good, because I don't think so. I'm scanning. Oh, I think it won. Did it win like a. I don't think so. I'm I'm just going through Wikipedia real quick. Nominated for three. No, no, no. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it didn't win any. Yeah. Yeah, good. Didn't deserve any. Bradley Cooper could have gotten a supporting actor nod for it because that was the only good thing about it. But uh, yeah, so I mean, that, you know, uh, and what I was getting at was that you know, a lot of people are like, why didn't Dune win? It was the best movie. No, it was the only movie out of the 10 that you saw. That's why you want it to win. And of course, and honestly, this is, well, I'm kind of segueing into this part because this year we had, there were two Oscars that were given out that were, my daughter's in the room now, so I got to <laughs> censor myself. <laughs> Effing ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. uh, they had a fan favorite Oscar where people had to, they, unfortunately, they let people vote on it. And there's no way what won won. Uh, in the voting, what won was Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. Wow. Second place was Amazon original Cinderella. Third place was Minamata. I'm not sure what that is. I didn't look it up. I apologize to anybody. Maybe it's a great movie. I don't know. Number four, Spider-Man No Way Home. And five, Tick, tick, boom. Okay. Let's be honest. Of those five movies, if you asked, I don't know how, I don't know how, I don't understand how Army of the Dead won because you have Zack Snyder simps online that just, oh, Zack, oh, oh, it's like Cartman is, uh, you know, they're just the hand. Uh, Hennifer Lopez and Zack Snyder, you know, I'm doing a South Park reference here. Of course, I'm doing audio, a visual joke on audio podcast. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Zack, it's so good. Oh. Zack Snyder, he's a flashy director. He makes fun movies. None of them deserve Oscars. But you're telling me that fans picked Army of the Dead as a better movie than Spider-Man No Way Home? Maybe it's a troll. (laughs) Yeah. Because they don't don't get a statue for it, so. (laughs) It's just the point of it. It's like, oh, my God, like, no. And why is even Tick, Tick, Boom on there? I haven't seen it. I want to see it. Don't get me wrong. But that's not the kind of movie – that the general audience would want to see, like even care about. Right. Let's be honest. I mean, that's a, that's more of an Oscar kind of like movie. Yeah. And then they also had, this is, this may be even more mad. They had the Oscars cheer moment. And this wasn't just this year. This was apparently of all time. Name five great movie moments. Okay. Uh, you know, smile, you son of a B. 
from Jaws. My daughter's still in the room. Uh, Avengers Endgame. <laughs> Avengers Assemble. Uh, so many. So many. Star Wars, you know, use the force, Luke. I am your father. All that kind of like so many incredible uh, culture defining moments. What, what, what are the five ones they pick? Number five, Neo dodges in bullet time. Yes, I accept that one. That was incredible at the time. Fourth place, Effie White singing, and I am telling you, I'm not going from Dreamgirls. Okay. Top five movie moment ever. Okay. Mm. Third, Avengers Assemble to fight Thanos. Yes. Uh, number two, the three Spider-Men team up in Spider-Man No Way Home. And what wins? The Flash enters the Speed Force in Zack Snyder's <laughs> Justice League. Oh, God, Zack. Oh, yeah. Oh, Zack. Oh, more. Oh, eh. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Let, let's be honest here. Let's let, let's just be honest. You can you can think that was a cool moment. Don't get me wrong. I don't need to see a sesame sea in slow motion, Zack Snyder, and, and it be called art. No, you're telling me that was better than Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield popping up in No Way Home. You're wrong. In fact, that in fact, the whole you OK? Yeah. That should have been on the list because that was the best moment in movies this year to me. Uh, and then you're saying that was better than the 20 years of Marvel movies leading up to Cap finally actually saying Avengers Assemble after they reversed the snap. And you even put that on the same list as Effie White singing in Dreamgirls. You know, I mean, look, you're talking about movie moments here. And of course, everybody has their own opinion. Don't get me wrong. But let's be honest. Only Two, maybe three of the ones they even had listed even deserve to be on that list. Do even some of them don't even deserve, I would say, to be top five if you're talking about movie moments or, excuse me, Oscars cheer moments. So when do people cheer in the theater? <laughs> All the, the whole movie in No Way Home, just Zack Snyder's Justice League didn't even go to the theaters. <laughs> it wasn't even in the theaters. It's, it's so stupid. It was such a pandering award. Uh, that just made me it makes me insane that that's that's how it went out. Uh, that's what, how it ended up. Anyway, into random that enough talking about that. It's over. Can't change it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, best picture. I'm glad Coda won. Uh, again, I've only seen half of them. I can't. Some of the other ones might be better. I definitely think it was better than Power of the Dog. I think it was better than Licorice Pizza. Uh, you know, I would watch Dune again over it just because I like Dune. But is it a better movie? No. I mean, Oscar best picture movies aren't meant to be popular. Sometimes they are popular movies, Return of the King, uh, you know, but they're not. What I love about Oscar season is usually there's 10 movies and I usually haven't seen that many of them. Oh, these are the movies that I, I, I like it because it, get, it allows you to explore other movies that get people thinking and talking. You know, you, you rarely see a blockbuster win best picture i mean it happens avatar all that kind of stuff did avatar deserve to win no let's be honest that was bull uh it does happen though is what i'm getting at you know i think star wars was nominated for best picture and so was the exorcist and it lost to uh, i don't remember but anyway you know so uh, like little kid like i say you little kids younger people best picture isn't for the, the movie that you think is best it's for what the you know ask the academy the academy and who are the academy people who work in the film industry so that's their, you know, that's that's what I like about seeing the best. And is there is there politics involved? Absolutely. Let's not get all caught on that on that thing. Let's not go down that road. Just enjoy the fact that when they release a list of best pictures and best direct, all this stuff, it's 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 good that you see them. As even if they're over three hours long, eventually I'll get around to drive my car. One best foreign film. Uh, so you know, really still want to see all of these, but you know. My money, I'm, you know, I'm fine with Coda winning. I thought it was great. I, like I said, I teared up a couple times. Uh, if it didn't win, I would have won a Belfast to win of the ones I've seen. So <laughs> there's that. But then uh, rounding out this Oscar talk, uh, the In Memoriam had some very notable, extremely notable and omissions from it. Oh, we cut it for time. But, uh, you know, don't put some random you know, producer on there that nobody knows and you leave off Meatloaf. Mm. Uh, you left off Ed Asner which was shocking. Wow. Honestly, they left off Bob Saget, which I mean, you know, he, he, he directed, he directed two films. Uh, they left off Norm Macdonald and they left off Anne Rice, who wrote the screenplay for interview with a vampire and worked on, you know, was producer on her movies. Uh, but you have these other random people. And again, every life is precious. I'm not saying, I think everybody who you need to have a, an, an established, if you worked in the movie industry, and you died this year, you're going to be recognized in this thing. 
in this presentation. And it's always, it's usually super like, you know, they have a great piece of music behind it. It's usually really well done. The personal introductions, like when Bill Murray and, uh, cause I watched it, you can watch it on YouTube. Uh, Jamie Lee, you know, talks about Betty White, which was really sweet. Bill Murray talks about Ivan Ryan, which was great. Tyler Perry talks about Cindy Poitier. All that was great. But then you have these singers like singing spirit in the sky. And it was really just the tone of it was like, uh, you know, it's cool if you're, I guess if you're going to do a jazz funeral kind of thing, that's, you know, go with it, but don't half, don't do this really sad song, then this upbeat song. And then a sad, like it's, it was just weird, but yeah. How dare you leave off meatloaf, Ed Asner, Bob Saget, Norm Macdonald, and Anne Rice. Shame on you for that. So we give them a shout out on here for the t- 10 people that listen to this. Podcast. There you go. <laughs> but anyway, see, so yeah, that's the Oscars. It was, you know, it was a, it was a circus. It was a circus, but uh, yeah. Uh, we did get an email and a, a, well, a Facebook message. Oh, I'm sorry, an email and a Facebook message. Excuse me. First email was from Mike Hastings. He says, gentlemen, just wanted to pass on to my buddy, has just released the trailer for Curse Films Volume 2. Looks like another fantastic collection of classic and curse films, and he sent the link. But you can also just uh, search YouTube, Curse Films Volume 2. Uh, your Canadian brother, Mike Hastings, uh, thank you so – oh, I'm sorry. Sent from my Bell Samsung device over Canada's largest network. Free plug for – Bell Samsung, whatever the hell that is. But uh, yeah, anyway, thanks so much for sending that, Mike. Uh, and just so you, if you want to I mean, watch the trailer, because I'm, I'm super excited for the series to come back. And remember, Mike, mention to your friend, hey, you got a really cool podcast, a couple of guys that could get some commentary on season three. Anyway, uh, the films <laughs> are going to be covering this season, Wizard of Oz, Rosemary's Baby, Stalker, The Serpent and the Rainbow, and Cannibal Holocaust. Uh, really interested in the uh, Stalker and Serpent and the Rainbow ones. Uh, Wizard of Oz, I know a lot of there's a lot of backstory on that, but hopefully there'll be some new stuff in there. And Rosemary's Baby, that'll be interesting too. Nevertheless, I think it's a great series. The first one is still on Shutter. We talked about it extensively on the Twilight Zone uh, episode about the accident. Really, the Crow episode is fantastic. They're all fantastic. Go watch all of them. Highest possible recommendation. It's really cool. It's a really good series. A little creepy, but you know, if you if you use your head, you know, it's just coincidence. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, but nevertheless, thanks, Mike. Look forward to that, and we'll talk about that again when it comes up. And we, but we do have. A brand new addition to the 80s Revisited podcast family. Ross Jacobs had their son, Harrison, and he uh, uh, saw a post on Facebook. Mommy, whole family's doing fine, which is great. And he says, hey there, Trey. And, he sent a Facebook message. Uh, hey there, Trey and Jesse. I hope all is going well over the uh, pond with your big move. I know this can be stressful as I'm quite used to this by having moved around a lot. Uh, everything's fine. Thank you for asking. Uh, since the last time we spoke, my incredible wife and I welcomed our son, Harrison, to the world. And what can I say? I'm overwhelmed by how much I love how much love I can feel that it's wonderful, tiny human. I'm taking your advice and trying not to be too quiet around him. And he doesn't seem to mind too much as of yet. I listened to the latest episode while holding my boy as there was not much else to do at 2 a.m. Haha. <laughs> Welcome to fatherhood. Yep. Uh, I did manage to get a copy of Kong Lives. And wow, I don't think I've watched a film this terrible since Superman 4. Hey, we mentioned that earlier, too. Uh, I found the trivia of this movie amusing. Though as the actor from The Father of the Bride films, Peter Michael Goetz, Dr. Andrew Ingersoll, uh, had his three cent royalty check frame showing how much of a moneymaker this was at the time. Anyway, as always keep doing what you guys do and much love from your youngest podcast listener at three days old Harrison jokes. I don't think he's quite ready for you guys just yet. I agree. I agree. Wait another two months. Uh, cheers, Ross in the UK. Thumbs up Ross. Big congratulations. That's a huge thing. Glad everybody's doing well. Uh, to quote, uh, Michael Douglas from ghost in the darkness, even though it's not an 80s movie, you hold your son high. Uh, and you enjoy every single moment you have with them. Uh, Violet's three. She's about to be four in May. And, you know, you got to, you know, you got to you remind you, you gotta get, you're going to get to a point where like, you just want some time alone. But, you know, if you're anything like me, you have, you'll have, you'll be alone for five minutes and catch your breath. And you'll be like, damn, kind of missed that little rug rat. Uh, <laughs> so just, you know, make the time, enjoy it, you know, have fun. Cause we're not going to have another one. I don't know if y'all are going to have another one. <laughs> Maybe wait a little bit before you make that decision. But nevertheless, uh, shout out to Harrison. His first podcast shout out. At, I guess by this time, he's probably over a week or so old. Uh, but yeah, newest listener, well, future listener. Hey, if you listen to one episode, even while your dad's listening to it, that counts. You're a listener. Yep. So yep. welcome aboard, Harrison. Uh, I'd like to claim you named him after me, but. <laughs> so, but yeah you, you know y'all be safe over there take care appreciate the letters and uh messages and everything and we'll be back next week to hopefully kick this little bout of sequelitis we're dealing with as we talk about teen wolf 2 this is another one i remember renting a few mm. times back in the day 
remember kind of likening, likening, liking it, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, but <laughs> haven't seen it in forever. So Jason Bateman's a really big deal now. Yep. Let's find out how he was in the 80s when we talk about Teen Wolf 2 next week as we finish up Sequelitis here on 80s Revisited. And until then, I remain Trey Harris. Jesse Sedgley. Cowabunga! Cowabunga!